Welcome to the Rural Leaders Podcast. My name is Dana Peterson, and I'm joined by my co-host, Richard Fordyce, where we visit with rural leaders across the country with stories to inspire, tools to equip, and momentum to act in your local community. Our leadership paths, Richard and I's, crossed while we were serving at USDA in Washington, D.C. There, we shared a passion for rural communities and the farmers that live there. Um, when this podcast opportunity came about, we jumped at the chance to highlight the amazing, spectacular rural leaders that we know across the country and tell their stories about what they're doing in rural America. And Richard, it's been quite uh, a lot of fun, but it looks like you're also someplace fun this week. You know, it, yeah, and, and hi, Dana, it's great to see you. Um, uh, I love it. I love it when you kick off the podcast. You do such a great job uh, explaining what we're doing on the Rural Leaders Podcast. Uh, but I am, you know, last last episode, I was at the Missouri State Fair, and I promise I do not travel all the time. But um, I am at the Farm <laughs> Progress Show in Boone, Iowa. Um, I know a lot of our listeners um, have either attended or maybe they're attending the the Farm Progress Show this year. Uh, it's a um, it's a great. Um, it's a great display demonstration of innovation and technology. And, and I know you've got an announcement about a series we're going to, we're going to take on here. Um, and this fits right into, you know, what we're going to talk about for the next few episodes is this ability for agriculture and rural communities to, to, to have access to this amazing technology. And there's one thing about it that's that they need. And, and I know you're going to introduce that topic. Uh, here in just a minute, but Farm Progress Show is great. Lots and lots and lots of people here. Um, you definitely get your steps in if you don't have a golf cart, which I don't. Um, so uh, anyway, yeah. So coming to you from the media tent um, um, here um, on Farm Progress Showgrounds. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And I'm away from home here as well at the Kansas Housing Conference. Um, where people from all over the state are coming together to to look at the housing crisis in rural America and how we can find solutions. So it's great to be in in atmospheres where there's lots of ideas being shared and lots of um, success stories being uh, just, just cross-pollinated. Um, as I know, there's a lot, lot of uh, pollination happening there as well. So uh, you yeah, mentioned, Richard, that, yeah, you mentioned uh, connectivity um, there at Farm Progress, and that is the subject for our next series. Um, we're going to take the next several episodes, and we're going to talk with pioneers of rural connectivity, um, whether that is at the local level um, with companies and, and telecommunications co-ops, or um, with other people involved within the sphere of bringing um, connectivity to rural America, of bridging that kind of digital divide. Um, so it'll be exciting to, to share our connections with our community and really uh, learn and um, get inspired to, to, to do more with rural connectivity. Um, and we'll have our first guest with that uh, when we get back. When I was in foster care, I never knew when I would have to move. So I always had my suitcase ready to go. 
Then one day I was adopted. My new parents opened their hearts and home to me. My parents cook my favorite breakfast for me every morning. My parents take me on trips I never thought I would go on. They gave me a home and an even better reason to use that suitcase. My parents aren't perfect, but they're perfect for me. People do some pretty cool things in their 40s and 50s. Why should saving for retirement be any different? So wherever you are in your retirement savings journey, head to aceyourretirement.org and start chatting with Avo today. That's aceyourretirement.org. And welcome back to the Rural Leaders Podcast. We're joined today by my friend and colleague, Heather Hampton-Noble. Heather is from Montgomery County, Illinois, where she is a farmer and and has been involved in agriculture. Um, She has her own business on top of that. And above all of that, she's had time to to be the founding chairman of her county economic development corporation and is just generally a proponent for rural development. So welcome to the podcast today, Heather. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when we were talking and catching up recently, you shared a little bit about a fiber to the premises project that you played an important role in. And, you know, one of the things we try to to inspire our audience and community with is just, you know, what was that catalyst for you to get involved in a, in a broadband or a fiber project in Montgomery County? Well, it all started whenever I was still facing my business from our home. At that point, we had a rural Irving, Illinois address. And the fact that I was able to bake a cake in the amount of time it took to download one PDF file was uh, more than a lightning rod moment for me because it happened not just once, but multiple times. And I am not Becky Homecky. It was just like, yes, people will want to eat at the end of the night. So I think I can go ahead and squeeze this in. Um, Then that happened in the late 90s, but that started my journey to try to drive toward better telecommunications across the board for rural America, and in particular, Montgomery County, Illinois, as a starting point. And uh, we can we can explore that fiber journey because it ultimately came down to persistence and team. I mean, you introduced me as one individual, and yes, I may have been a catalyst in the sense of the person who helped connect people and initiate relationships, but ultimately it takes a team to roll something like this out. So Heather, let me ask, um, oh, and by the way, welcome. Uh, I didn't do that at the beginning of, of this segment. It's great to have you on. So again, we, we, we know that the connectivity um, issues are there, they're real in rural America. So when did you land on the idea that, that fiber was going to be the solution? I mean, was that was that immediate or did you look at other uh, other things and then land on fiber uh, after a little bit of a journey? That's a great question because technology, as we know, is changing. It seems like its shelf life is becoming shorter and shorter and shorter. Uh, so it's changing at such a rapid pace. And when I first started this journey with others in our county who recognized the need, we were investigating all of the above. 
I, I remember being in a meeting with the lieutenant governor at the time saying maybe Illinois should even invest in its own satellite just to serve unserved areas and bridge the digital divide. Um, just as one possibility. And we hadn't even, I hadn't even learned a term like latency or jitter or packet loss at that point. <laughs> it was just about how can we improve our, our download speed, number one. And we did investigate, though, over time, the journey has taken us to learning a lot more about not only satellite as an option or experimenting with that, actually, in our own home farm, but also line of sight, fixed wireless, like terrestrial-based internet. Uh, definitely learned a lot about paired copper wire initially because of so many incumbent telephone providers and the landline systems who, you know, you think about their position where for close to 70 years, they were king of the roost and the only game in town. And then they find they have millions, at a minimum, millions of dollars of infrastructure buried in the ground that they have a limited capability to upgrade, to maximize. Uh, what we were learning early on in our journey is that that copper paired wire, you, you were doing well to push three meg. That's when they called that fast, right? That was high-speed internet, DSL. Um, I checked, I did a speed test today from home and, and we can, I don't want to talk too much, but we have a fixed wireless at our home office. And currently I'm able to do this interview from a location where we do have fiber to the premises. And I thought, well, just for the heck of it, I'm going to run a speed test during working hours. And my upload speed from home download was about 12 something meg. And there are many parts of our country that would just, I don't want to say kill for that, but they would love to have that. And we know this, love to have that. Uh, but the upload speed, so trying to push anything out, it was 0.27 meg versus I come to this location with fiber and it, it had a download of like 380 some meg and 360 some going back up. So it is truly the difference between you know, ox drawn cart and Concorde jet or space shuttle. It's, it's, and it makes such a difference in terms of how we can contribute to not only our businesses and well being, but our communities at large. Now, I know, Richard, you also have received fiber or process, and we've been on these sorts of calls for a few years now. And so there's, there's this whole connectivity um, bridge, gap, divide, whatever people want to call it that's happening. You know, Tell us a little bit. Richard, are, have you gotten fiber to your farm yet? So it's it's there. Um, we are we're hooked up, but the system hasn't been um, energized yet. Um, and we keep thinking any day now, any day now. Um, you know, as I mentioned in our opening segment, I'm at the Farm Progress Show, um, and and you know, connectivity here has been a real issue. Like I wasn't sure we could record. Um, based on some of the things that, that we've been experiencing here the last couple of days. But we are so excited um, to be able to have that because I, I 
think we're going to be talking about the same kind of speeds that you just mentioned, Heather, when we get when we get the system hooked up. Yes, it's, it is. It's night and day. And I was in a meeting last week and visiting. Actually, our guest presenter happened to be another farmer from Illinois, and he's located about an hour and a half east of where we farm. But uh, it's just fascinating what he has been able to essentially cobble together on his farm where he has seven data cards through his cellular provider. And he will literally get one out of one tractor cab, put it in another tractor cab as he sees the data reaching its maximum threshold. And he's been able to still do some prescription farming, some really good precision farming. But he tells a story where there is fiber optic right across his driveway at, at the end of their farm. And for three years, it's been there. And he offered to connect. But the company, and, and the company gave him the price. He said, I'm willing to pay that. It may have been $10,000 or something, which it is a lot of money. But when you think about how much, how valuable this data is in that business and what a game changer it could be for him, that's, that's nothing compared to a quarter million dollar tractor. Uh, so he said, I'm, I'm willing, but they have yet to connect him. And when you, I'm just Richard hearing you say it's not lit up yet. So you, you think, okay, I understand there's a lot about getting infrastructure in the ground, but these relationships and continuing knowing who is in charge and not pestering them, but trying to be timely with appropriate questions that can benefit not only you, but others. That's where it seems like we were able to get a really good response from providers. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, the, the, the primary infrastructure is in the ground. They, they started doing that last winter. Um, and so we literally, we have the fiber literally to the home. We've got to go ahead and get it in the, get it in the house and in the shop uh, office. But there are, some, there are some components that have been, uh, whether it's supply chain issues or just availability, there are some components that have yet to show up. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why, because this is a, this is a complete system. Um, we're not, we're not being added on to by an existing system. This is an, this is a system that didn't exist. Um, and so it's, it's a little different, but again, we're very, very excited about the possibility. Well, that is exciting. And that green build scenario like that, I mean, you're seeing this combination of factors right now where there are some genuine supply chain issues in terms of production and manufacturing and sourcing supplies. But then there's also this incredible explosive increase in demand that is right up consuming supply as fast or faster than it can be generated. So we've got an interesting situation right now, given the amount of public dollars that are trying to help fuel this build out. Yeah, so Heather, you mentioned just a bit about the team of people that were involved in getting your fiber to the premises project. Could you kind of just give us a high level? Um, you mentioned it started in the 1990s and we're here in the 2020s. So give us a high level of what that journey looked like for you and your community. Yeah, well, the pursuit in the pursuit of telecommunications, um, it led to a community planning process, competitive communities initiative, and I, I guess I ended up chairing that. I started out with our Hillsborough Chamber of Commerce and the economic development chair there, 
we saw a need within that community where my business was based at that point. I'd moved out of our home thinking, oh, oh, I'm going to get three Meg. My gosh. Then um, from there, we've. So from that initial journey, starting with Hillsborough Chamber of Commerce, we formed a competitive communities initiative, visited. I was at probably close to 20 different municipal meetings convincing them to have someone from their community or their town council or municipal council be actively engaged in a core steering committee. Through that, we held some town halls. One of the primary outcomes was to form an economic development corporation, a public-private, so that put skin in the game, funding that with businesses, municipalities, the county, organizations, individuals. It also gave people a voice and uh, more credibility when we, do, we would then pursue the policy type avenues and there really wasn't much money. Illinois as a state has been in a leadership position for a long time trying to do what they can with budgeted funds to do things like mapping, find out where fiber is or infrastructure in general is and where it could be lit up that it's not currently and try to find incentives to do that. We were part of a first of its kind broadband pilot where the state funded a fiber backbone and we built out the fixed terrestrial wireless network. There again, it's about persistence and relationships and showing up because I again found myself right off of first or second base in Farmersville, Illinois. I'd been to the city council meeting presenting. We go out there, the water guy and I, he says, I think we could put a tower right here because they were actually looking for assets. They didn't want to put it on the brand new water tower because of pride. It's new. It's fresh paint. Why would we want to mount something on that? And we, we bumped into that with another community as well. And unfortunately, that community, the mayor at the time, and maybe I didn't ask the next, next question enough. I may have asked it once, but I probably should have asked it five times, which is, is there another location? Because what happened was a, a whole section of our county missed out because they weren't able to find that high point to mount the uh, receivers and radio. But with this journey, then it, it has taken this team of not only elected officials, but I approached a farmer who had a really nice grain leg for one of the kind of jumps within the network. He was able to negotiate his service terms for mounting it. It was a win-win. Uh, approached a local grain elevator, cooperative. Absolutely. Can we shift our own network onto this? And so you, you look for those opportunities for them to gain, but also serve a larger need. Um, and that, that was really from 2006, the authorization. It was 2011 before that went active and live. And in the meantime, I kept asking members of Congress when I'd see them, what federal money might there be? And they'd continually, there's no money. There's nothing. Don't even think about it. Okay, fine. We'll find a way to do this. But they said, oh, maybe you should go talk to these guys. And, and uh, I'd love to talk about these guys if we have time. But let me know, Dana. I can bring you into that. Yeah, no, I now. think uh, the, the, the ingenuity and the energy and the perseverance that's so prevalent in rural America, I think, really comes through in your story. And and yet there is a bit of a kind of a divine appointment that came to play as well with those guys. Right. So let's just, uh, yeah, take us uh, two minutes on that. All right. So one of our congressmen would say, well, you need to talk to Billy and Adam because what they did, they'd started out of high school 
doing computer repairs and fix it. They were gamers for fun, but they found their niche in technology. They built out their own line of sight wireless company. And then they thought, now fiber is the future. It's more reliable. There's less maintenance. Plus you, it's scalable. And that's coming back to Richard's question. You know, really fiber is probably the most scalable technology for both upload and download speeds over time. As long as those lasers keep improving, in theory, it's infinite. And Billy and Adam talked to their wives. They said, we, banks don't know how to fund this. They don't know how to collateralize you know, what we're going to put in the ground. We think we need to sell our business. The wives said, sounds risky, but okay. They did it, $1.2 million. They put everything they had into building fiber in their hometown. So my congressman was saying, we need to talk to these guys. Well, I did in 2015 and said, hey, would you be interested in building in our county about a half hour south of where they were? They said, oh, right now we've got our hands full. We're trying to finish out our phases. Just don't know if we have time. Well, I went back in February of 17 after I'd been on the county board and chaired the Economic Development Committee and was trying to find a way then, I was finding a way to create a pool of funds to entice a provider to come in and set up shop. Mm -hmm. And um, called them and they said, Heather, your timing is perfect. We're actually looking for our next build. So we had the conversation, but took certain leaders and had a series, two conversations within three weeks. And they said, all right, we'll give you six weeks. If you can get 20% sign up in a community, we'll build there. But there's always some background here. There's a business case. There's where they had planned to build versus what they thought maybe we had to offer. Uh, the great news was we had two communities. They identified four, I think, as possible. And out of the four, two of them met that benchmark, actually exceeded it within the time frame. One, it may have taken six and a half weeks, but they overshot the mark. And uh, at this point now, we have six completely connected, and we have several others that are in process right now. And there was no government money in that. It was all privately funded. I, I know we're about out of time, but um, so so I, I've heard similar stories from other folks. The, the pioneers of figuring out how to connect a community um, have so much knowledge and so much to, to share about, you know, lessons learned and those kinds of things. And, and I just like, I'm just so encouraged by your story. Cause I know I can, I can tell by hearing you that it was, it wasn't like wake up one morning, we want to get connected and it happened. Like it, it takes a lot of time and, I'll, and, and go down this road and it maybe isn't the answer. And you go down this road and maybe that's not the answer. But the learning and because it is so important. You know, we've talked for a long time. It, this is the this is this generation's or this even the century's rural electrification. And it's so important. Yeah. It is so important that that we get there. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that in. Uh, thank you. Thank you for being on. And I think Dana's going to maybe get us out of here. But um Thanks for yeah. being on and sharing your story. It's great. Thank you. We, we view this as the way to keep on the map. So that's right. That's right. And to keep rural people connected, just like we're connecting uh, here today. So if people want to connect with you to learn more about your journey, to learn about the lessons that you learned along the way, how best would you have them do that? Probably through LinkedIn. 
so it's Heather Hampton Nodal and out there on LinkedIn, you can just message me and if there are resources we can point to. I also tried to provide a couple informational links about Illinois because the state has done so much. And right now, I think a lot of states are trying to look for models of how they can compete for federal funds and assist their communities as well. So, you know, recognize you're not in and alone at this point. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, thank you, Heather. It's a pleasure to have you with us. And um, we'll be back right after these messages. Feel the beat of nature at a park or forest near you. Find a forest and music inspired by nature at discovertheforest.org. Welcome back to the Rural Leaders Podcast. Richard, you know, it's great to have Heather with us um, and to have her pioneering spirit with us as someone who kind of blazed a trail with what it would take getting getting it done uh, in her rural community in, in Illinois. You know, the, the perseverance that she had over more than 20 years to get connectivity fiber to the premises um, is just spectacular and commendable, but also an essential part of being a rural leader. It absolutely is. And, you know, sometimes our rural leaders got to be tenacious, right? And um, have a lot of stick to itiveness because as, as Heather kind of indicated, she, that journey was a long journey. And, and, you know, that's why I wanted to, to maybe kind of at least recognize while she was still with us, um, you know, that that is, that was quite an undertaking. And, you know, there, there is a lot to share with from people that have have gone through that process, right? Um, but you know, I think she ought to be applauded as well for recognizing twenty some years ago that you know we've got to we've got to step up our game and we've got to do more to get our rural community um, connected. Because when you think about it, twenty some years ago, it was not near as critical as it is today, right? Um, and so to be to be that forward that that much of a forward thinker to uh, know that that's the that's a serious um, that was a serious undertaking and it was going to be it was, and the and the and the risk was going to be worth the reward um, is is kind of a cool deal. It is it is and I met Heather probably thirty years ago now, and nearly thirty years ago and she has always been one with vision with sight. Uh, for her to be able to see that uh, connectivity and, and digital um, uh, uh, operations was going to be important, just as amazing. And she has been serving uh, at, on the FCC Precision Ag Task Force um, since it started and really just providing that expertise all the way up um, to the highest levels of policymaking. And so it's great to, to be able to get to know her as a person here on the podcast and, and just know her uh, tenacity um, is, is right up there with her vision. 
It, it absolutely was. And, you know, I, I think I'd met Heather one time before um, when she was on the FCC task force. Um, uh, but it, it was also kind of just really interesting to hear her talk about the journey. And I'm sure she learned, I'm sure her vernacular changed as she went through that journey, right? Because technology was changing, yeah. like from, from the yeah. time she started till the time she ended. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, that was, it was just, that was a great segment. Um, great guest. Yeah. And so I think you are connected with the next guest for our rural connectivity series. I am. Um, so we're going to have uh, the general manager of a local phone co-op um, who this, I think the story is going to be similar yet different because this is the effort of a local phone co-op to be very strategic and to be, again, forward thinking. And so we're going to have the general manager on of GRM Network, Grand River Mutual, the GRM Network, um, you know, in our next um, our next guest. And so excited to hear uh, what Mitchell has to say about what's going on with GRM. I am too. And I'm excited to hear from our community out there who are listening to the Rural Leaders Podcast. Um, you can reach us by emailing us at, at Dana at the ruralleaderspodcast.com or Richard at the ruralleaderspodcast.com. And until we see you again, we hope that um, you have the momentum to act in your rural community. 